Value Town is a production of ChamMV TV. Find out all show information and details at ChamMV.tv. Value Town is directly supported by listeners like yourself via patreon.com slash valuetown. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode ninety-seven. Yeah, no, nine, it's ninety-seven, not ninety-six, right? Gosh, no, I was thinking it was ninety-six. It's actually ninety-seven of the overview. I'm Jamie V, and Fish Sticks, of course, joining me. And this goes back again, so it's just like the three of us once again. How's everybody doing? Pretty good, Chris. Pretty good. This is, I think, the most last minute we've ever <laughs> done one of these shows. About yep. 45 minutes ago, Chris is like, well, if we don't do it now, we're probably not going to do it at all. So let's just do it. <laughs> yep. So here we are. And there's plenty to talk about. Yep. Uh, stage three just finished up. Stage four is coming up in just a couple of days. Contenders just wrapped up uh, for Korea, EU, and NA. And uh, we're joined again by Yiska. Do you want to introduce yourself, by the way? I don't think we actually, like, we had, I don't actually remember if we gave you a chance to just kind of, like, tell the audience, like, who you are and what you do yeah. too okay. much. Well, I used to be a writer, I guess. Though <laughs> so, so that was basically last year at this point. I'm getting back on the horse. I'll actually quite likely that I'll edit some content tonight that will release, even though it's not really written. It's more like a, an in, or a, a discussion with a friend via text i suppose um yeah so i'm i write for winston's lab and do some mild editing when, when it's required um other than that i really am just a twitter analyst at this point if we're being honest i mean you're, but i'm trying to you know, broaden that right, right. a little bit you're just telling me that you're an aspiring um professional overwatch better like or at least you know it, it, it's it's definitely coming a, a career embedding with this uh announcement today is that not correct <laughs> <laughs> is that not correct i mean all? i mean I, I probably won't make a living from it even though some people in winston's lab have made a living off of esports betting but okay. not in overwatch so um a little scary that that's that is scary is it scary? Is it really that scary? Or is it actually a cool story? That somebody that cool. somebody can make a living, right? Right? Yeah. As long as there's not like, you know, match fixing and things, what's wrong with, you know, being able to you know, to make a living off off that? I mean, people day trade. I mean, that's pretty much kind of the same thing. Yeah. I guess. Sort of, yeah. yeah, instead of Overwatch games, it's just stock the stock market, right? So anyways. Yeah. That obviously we're going to be talking about that. It's obviously a huge bit of news that got announced today, but it's been a while since we did a show. So there are patches, and I mean we haven't even talked about the new Hanzo yet. We'll probably get a touch on that, and of course how that impacts the OWL. We can you know give our thoughts on stage three that ended uh, you know about a week and a half ago, and then um, give a preview of stage four that's going to be happening in a couple of days. Uh, yeah, and just all the little things, all the little news that's been going on. So um, before we do that, I just want to mention that this episode of The Overview is sponsored by ZipRecruiter and Wing this week. So we've got two of them this week, which is really, really cool. Uh, we'll be definitely talking about them just throughout the show. So, um, you know, really, really uh, cool that they're doing that. And, you know, if you are familiar with them, definitely give them a shout out for sponsoring the show. Uh, but let's start off with the game. Uh, right now, 
Um, obviously, Brigitte is out in comp. I think a lot of us have been playing it for a few weeks now. Um, and then the latest thing is just the Hanzo. You know, just the, the new Hanzo with the rapid fire is is out there. And, um, you know, a lot of, I guess, mixed feelings of it. But generally, I think people are are starting to kind of kind of just have more and more fun with the, the new Hanzo, and and it's not just like oh this is just ridiculous. Like why does Hanzo have this crazy you know rapid fire kind of thing? Um, so thoughts on um, oh first off, let's just talk about Hanzo since it's kind of like the sexy thing. Thoughts on just the new Hanzo right now out in, in comp? Yes, go. You a lot start? more fun to play with yeah. and play against. Mm -hmm. uh, I think. He may be a little overtuned right now. It's kind of too early to say at this point. Um, he certainly his pick rate is certainly pretty absurd right now in competitive. I think probably at all tiers, but certainly at the tier that I'm playing at at the at the high masters low GM range, he's getting picked almost every every single game. Uh, but I'm not necessarily sad about that because he's way more interesting of a character now. Uh, Scatter Arrow is way is way more bullshit than even something as maybe OP as as Storm Arrow might be. It's still, in my opinion, way less bullshit to play against. Uh, his mobility is is huge. It completely changes how you can play the character. Mm -hmm. You can play put yourself in far far more risky situations and not necessarily be punished for it like you used to be. I mean, Hanzo is very easy to dive prior to this season. Now, all of a sudden, you don't really want to dive a Hanzo. Storm Arrow can absolutely melt tanks that are diving onto Hanzo in a split second. He's much, much, much better versus Tracer. Uh, so he, he does much better in the dive environment, and that mobility uh, is a huge change as well. Yeah, I, I feel like... So one thing I always thought about Hanzo is that he might just be the most satisfying DPS, if you want to say that. Like just hitting those arrow headshots is just I don't know. Like in terms of just playability, it was always pretty crazy. And Scatter really took a, a lot away from that. It also feels mm -hmm. like um, that this was basically what cheapened the skill cap that he had because there are nuts Hanzos that are just. You know, it's very different to have someone that reliably hits body shots and then reliably headshots, right? That's <laughs> yeah. like another Hanzo right there. So, in general, I think uh, also the the I'm not sure what it's called the shift the the you know the the little uh, leap arrow that oh oh are you talking about the, yeah, the sonic arrow sonic Center, yeah. sonic arrow yeah it is pretty crazy for me. Um, I also think that. Theoretically, this is actually what puts him over the edge um, in comparison to... I've, I've even talked to some o o Overwatch League players who said, we're not sure that even if Hanzo comes in, that he would be better than Junkrat for some of these maps. Because Junkrat still spams the hell out of armor from uh, Br uh, Brigitte. So the, the question is, is it then better because also the the tire is a lot more versatile in many ways right a, a tire is like always useful while a dragon is only useful about half the time which is the time that your zarya has a graph right and in certain map situations so in general i think um the the sonic arrow gives them because you have so much more knowledge on where the opponent is in those pro situations i think that's actually the the uh the re real buff in a sense yeah, I think it was Tvik who was saying this uh, on, on Twitter or in an interview or something. 
so for those of you that aren't necessarily aware, basically the changes to Sonic Arrow is that the duration for each arrow is slightly shorter, but the cooldown is also slightly shorter. So it basically means that you can use Sonic Arrow more frequently to keep tabs on where your opponents are. Um, so I, I still don't think that that's the biggest part of this, but I guess I guess the pros do. So what do I know? Uh, yeah. But yeah. It's yeah. I mean, generally speaking, I, I'm I definitely would like to see Hanzo. I feel I feel like the history of Overwatch, right? We haven't seen Hanzo in the metagame very often, and you know, ever since the game was announced, I feel like Hanzo defined the game. Like, remember just seeing the dragon for the first time, and like we literally Overwatch for the very first time. Hanzo was like one of the unique aspects of the game, and so like not having seen, you know, just basically like a sniper. That like what I, I kind of thought was a unique sniper to Overwatch for a while now, you know it's been more of a just a kind of spot or even a meme pick at times. Um, it's going to be great, you know, being able to see it a bit more. And um, you know, like you were saying, Yiska, there's something about like I don't know, there's something about when you land an arrow and headshot an arrow that feels different than a, a widow shot. You know, there's some kind of weird satisfaction to it that I, I think that is one of the cool things that they've designed in the game so anyways i think getting a chance to see that is cool the one thing i would say about the the new hanzo thing is that I, I just feel like it's not right for him to be able to kill tanks the way he does you know that that's probably the only thing that that gets me about it i don't mind the the fact that he can you know he'll be able to fight off tracers and and things that dive on just kind of just squishier targets that dive on him but when he can kill all the tanks at the rates of which he's been doing, or at least these great Hansas have been doing, it, it kind of makes me wonder if he's overpowered, you know? Because um, Widow doesn't have, you know, Widow has the machine gun, but it's not, it's not this kind of level. So what do you guys think about that? I mean, do you, you think Hansa should be able to be, be taken out, you know, Winston's and, and uh, you know, even just being able to handle some divas? I, I don't know. It, it's, I think it's too early to say right now definitively if he's OP or not. Um, I will say that while play, as playing as Winston on ranked is kind of brutal right now. Um, <laughs> Very brutal. It's not fun. No, Actually, nobody's playing Winston right now. Uh, dive is extremely, extremely rare at this point. And I think in large part because, well, both Brigitte and because of Hanzo, uh, you're seeing a lot less dive. But I wouldn't say he's necessarily overpowered against... The, converse, or the comps that you're seeing right now, which are much more Reinhardt Zarya based. Mm -hmm. uh, so it does. It felt a little weird at first, but just like with everything, I think people are going to figure out how to play ar around this. And like I, you know, as a Winston in previous seasons, if I see a, a if I'm playing Winston and I see a Hanzo, I'm going to dive him almost as my top priority because uh, he doesn't have mobility. I can you know just get in there and kill him. That's different now, and it's going to take some learning to figure that out, but I think people will adjust in time. Also, like, the the jump that they gave him, the mm -hmm. extra jump, is actually pretty huge in some situations. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you probably should never get hit by um, Doomfist Ultimate or whatever, everything that's targeted sort of on the ground. Even, like, a Winston that uses jump to get you, you're... I think it's basically, if you do it correctly, you're basically out of Tesla range. If you do it right, mm. so oh wow, it, okay. you just kite them forever. It feels like right these melee characters. Also, like what is a Reinhardt going to do to you ever, other than getting you shattered in some situations? So that is definitely also something that is 
it feels minor, but I think there's just so much outplay potential in a sense. Mm-hmm. No, he he just feels a lot better. You know, like he, he, like you said, like the mobility I think is is a great addition to him too. Like he before it just felt like you always had that weakness. You know, like you had to be super careful with your movement, and now you know. It kind of sounds bad, but even just like the lesser skill players, you can make a mistake and you can still recover with with by using that that kind of hop. You know, whether it's to get away from Winston or even just like a diva bomb, right? Like sometimes just that little hop is enough just to get get away from it. Um, but you know, one point I would do want to follow up when you're talking about it's tough to play Winston, Ben. It's tough to play. It's I'm not sure how fun it is to play any tank right now. Maybe outside of Diva. You know, like you've got Reinhardt's that just like literally hold up shields and then, you know, maybe do earth shatters whenever they can, which it's kind of hard to build up an earth shatter given the, the role it's pl- he's playing right now. And then, or, um, you know, Winston's just kind of getting owned and not even being played. It, it, and Orissa just, you know, it's Orissa, right? So I mean, there's not much to do there either. Thoughts on just like the play, the where we are with tanks right now? I, I think the demise of Reinhardt in this meta is greatly greatly exaggerated uh i mean reinhardt zarya is the standard meta comp now uh reinhardt zarya triple support hanzo is like the the new standard at least from what i can see and what i can tell and you know being shield bashed and knocked away as reinhardt may not feel great but it's like i think people are overreacting a lot uh as to how rough it is to play Reinhardt right now. I think Muma has been quite vocal about this on his stream. Uh, he's one of my favorite tank main tank streamers to watch. He's playing Reinhardt all the time, and like he's just not really getting in that range of the shield bash. I mean, it, it sucks. Like You can't really charge as Reinhardt anymore. It's really easy to hit a charging Reinhardt out of, uh, out of his momentum with the shield bash. Like, there's some things which feel a little bit more frust- a little bit frustrating, but you know I'm watching Muma play. You know he's got a he's got a Brigitte on his side. He's got a Zarya on his side. That gives him the you know his ability to move forward and swing away, throw fire strikes whenever they're off cooldown. So I honestly I I feel like this whole notion of playing tank is hell now is overblown a bit for sure, uh, personally. Yeah, I think there are these French. Cri- uh, cases where you just get chain CC'd and it, it can <laughs> feel very uh, annoying but it sort of reminds me of back in uh, WoW in the early arena days where you had mace stun and then there was a weapon that had a certain proc chance called storm heralds that also had a mace stun but wasn't on the same cooldown so you could th- theoretically get mace stunned and then into storm herald and you would sit there for like seven seconds and go like, I really want to play this game. And then it comes up again and whatever. So <laughs> that was ridiculous in the same sense. But now it's a lot more predictable in a sense. Because mm-hmm. you know exactly what uh, Brigitte is doing to you, right? So I think also the, the problem usually is, is if something is very oppressive before you learn the concepts around it, right? So basically... What Brigitte does is it gives you a sort of say or danger zone for you to be in. So, for instance, some concepts it's just like, okay, so either Brigitte has used shield bash uh, around you and then you can shatter, or she's out of range and then you can shatter. That's just a prerequisite to shattering now in mm-hmm. in comp games and certainly in pro games too. So, 
unless you have internalized these concepts, of course, it's going to be annoying that basically reliably Brigitte can stalk your shadows and reliably on reaction time, even online, stun your shadows. It's right. That mm -hmm. feels disempowering, but only as long as you haven't learned those fundamental concepts to counter her or play around her. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, well, one thing they have been um, at least talking about in terms of Brigitte is just changing, you know, nerfing her a little bit. And that's kind of what we see on PTR right now. Um, if we talk about uh, at least the latest PTR, and they, they changed it like twice in a week. It was it was kind of pretty quick between the, the patch on the third and the patch on the seventh. And, um, you know, the thing that they changed with Brigitte is that the max armor now per player is down, you know, 50. It went from 150 to 100, which is huge. And then a the cooldown, too, for shield bash is, is uh, longer now. So... Uh, Think this is enough? I mean, this is a good change for you guys. Think? I, I think it's definitely putting us in the right direction. Yeah, I'm happy about it. Is it enough? I, I think it might be. Honestly, like I'm still of the camp of people overreact to every balance change ever, and that people just need to chill out a little bit and kind of just wait and see. Uh, obviously, some changes have been way too significant. Mm -hmm. uh, Brig does seem probably overpowered right now, but. Going from 150 to 100 uh, for her ult is a big deal. And also, shield bash from 5 to 6 seconds is a really big deal. So I think that those tunes are definitely in the right direction and might very well be enough. Okay. Um, let's see. Another another change that they made, too, is Ana. Um, do we have, you know, I don't know what you guys think of Ana right now in, in the, the meta game that's uh, you know currently on the ladder. But uh, basically, no longer impacts allies with full health. That's like, okay, you know, not, not that big a deal. And the ammo increased from 10 to 14, which, which actually is a pretty big deal. Like, just having her just have a, a much bigger clip. Um, is Ana really good in this meta? Like, I mean, I still feel like it's a zen and... You know, Lucio, or you still see the Mercies too, but it's basically still those three that you're seeing a bunch of with, you know, Ana and Memora, you know, still kind of being less picked. What do you guys think? It's a, it's honestly, it's a better meta for Ana than previous metas for sure. Uh, because you can slot in Ana either kind of either for the Zen or the Mercy in some rare cases. Um, Definitely points like first point Numbani when you're playing defense. Ana has always been good here because you can kind of stack her in the top left corridor where she has lines of sight blockers, where she can kind of hide from dive. She can legitimately replace Zenyatta in situations like that. You know, anti-heal is still good uh, in a more static tank comp, I guess, meta where you have Rhines and Zarya's all the time. It's a little bit easier to just power heal those characters a bit more. Um, I, I've seen way more Ana this season than like the last two or three seasons, mm -hmm. um, for sure. And whenever I see an Ana on my team, I'm not, you know, in previous seasons, <laughs> it's like, please switch, you're throwing, I'm reporting you. <laughs> right. It's, it's not like that. It's absolutely not like that anymore. So Ana's already in a better place just by the nature of the compositions we're seeing, I think. Uh, and th this these updates will help push her even more into relevancy um yeah i mean i the reloading is a bitch when you're on us so including the uh, in, increasing the clip size it, it seems like a good change to me mm -hmm. yeah i agree i'm not sure if we will see them more in pro play because of that because the, currently you have like or 
I guess in stage three, you had like some some Hanamura stuff or whatever, first point defense or these types of things, right? Where you put what deployer there, or, or I guess in some cases on Volskaya. Um, so the, the in these cases, it was like, okay, so when you don't need as much movement and you have terrain to sort of uh, shuffle around, then it was okay. Even though most of the time, these comps aren't really you know, like comms you picked full holes, but rather to sort yeah. of, you know, waste as much time as possible. So I'm not sure if Anna is getting out of that part, but it's it's definitely not a troll pick anymore in solo queue or something like that that you could could legitimately be upset about when someone picks it. Especially like always my favorite is like if it's not even a one trick Anna that you get, but it's some guy that got bored of all the other supports. It just goes like, yeah, we're not Anna on attack. <laughs> That's the worst, right? Root. The, like, the most common person not who even picks good on him, by the way, is, is the DPS main who's forced to play support. That's true. They, they, those types of people always go on a, yes, I'm looking at you, John. I see you in chat. I'm calling <laughs> you out. Yeah, it's the Widow player that ends up getting put on honor, right? And it's like, oh, I can you know, still snipe, but heal instead. Yeah, but... uh it, it, it'll be nice to see more Ana. Just I think just more of a mix. Now, now, now we have three supports. It's not really three supports. It's like Brigitte and two supports, you know, basically. Uh, but it, it was always a very Zen-heavy meta, so it, it'll be nice to to uh, be able to get Ana in there and see a little variety. Um, but okay, so I guess, you know, in terms of the game, uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, still a lot to be be figured out. Obviously, once it gets out into, you know, OWL and we're seeing some of the pro matches, I think stuff becomes a bit clearer, too. Um, so, why don't we talk about some, um, some maybe some OWL-centric news here. But before I do, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, one of our sponsors today, ZipRecruiter. Uh, ZipRecruiter is a great job website that um, does a good job of, like, combining a, or a, a aggregating a bunch of platforms for you. So if, you, if you're if you used to using a, like five different job websites to try to find that candidate for you or even posting on it, uh, ZipRecruiter kind of combines all those into just like one website and you're able to track from a bunch of these different sites. And, um, you know, many, like 80% of the people on ZipRecruiter, I believe, find um, candidates through ZipRecruiter uh, when using it. And you can actually use it right now for uh, free if you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash overview and uh, just sign up right now and you can just get started right away and you can just check out the interface so um yeah check that out and uh, give them a shout out too if you you see them or are in contact with them for whatever reason for sponsoring the show okay so news all right big news the finals of owl is announced and it's going to be at the barclay center in new york kind of is that fair i mean come on guys i mean new york is obviously the favorite already and then now it's going to be in New York too, so they're going to have the home field advantage here. It'll be hype I mean... as fuck. That's what it's going to be, Chris. <laughs> this is going to be so hype because let's be real. New York is almost yes. definitely going to win, yeah. and that home crowd is going to love it so much. Yeah. I've been watching the videos that uh, like Mister Bitter and Slasher have been posting from the uh, yeah. NYXL viewing yeah. parties. Like that home crowd is going to be insane. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's going to it, be awesome. It definitely will be. Are you guys going to go? I, I'm going to try. That's for sure. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're gonna. I probably no, probably not. No. <laughs> Somebody pays you to cover it, maybe. Maybe you end up there. Yeah. But, maybe um, a few more ZipRecruiter sponsors. That's first. right. Exactly. Mm. No, um, yeah. I think the uh, the Barclay Center is a good choice. You know, definitely a, a nice venue. Um, you know, other obviously other sports uh, hold hold their events there too. So 
um, as the first venue for the finals. It's going to be pretty hype. It'd be awesome to see what, you know, this is the first time we'll actually get a chance to, to have a big live venue and see what the attendance can be. You know, I'm assuming it's going to be sold out. I'd be shocked if it's not sold out. Yeah, but um, yeah, New York, it's going to be in Brooklyn. So uh, yeah, it, <laughs> it might just have their hometown just win there, given that they're the huge, huge uh, favorite right now. But it uh, should be exciting to see, and um, can't wait to see what the viewership is going to be like for that too, man. It's going to be awesome. Okay, uh, let's see. What else we got here? Um, okay, so another bit of news. So Kai Kai, you know, obviously left Dallas, you know, as head coach um, in kind of, I don't know, not so great fashion, at least uh, a lot of the reaction from the community. But now he's joining Houston. So immediately picked up by Houston. Obviously, a lot of people still think very highly of Kai Kai. Um, particular Tyrong, I mean, he was like <laughs> quoted as saying recently, he's, you know, Kai Kai is like one of the greatest coaches ever. Uh, so yeah, thoughts on Kai Kai? Is he a better fit at Houston than Dallas? And, um, you know, how good is this for Houston? I think, uh, the main thing for me is that he didn't seem to be the right fit for Dallas because they needed a strong cultural leader who could not just give them the right strategies and help the players understand the game better and help them break down their scrims and look at tape and things like that, but also somebody to keep the morale up, someone to make sure that the infighting was was not happening. Uh, clearly that did not happen under his leadership at Dallas as the head coach there. Um, I think probably every team has different things that they need out of their head coach. You know, other teams might you might not actually need that from, from their head coach. They might have it from other places within the org, but Dallas definitely needed that. But the one thing you can't say about Kai Kai is regardless of the last four months since OWL started, uh, where Dallas Fuel has underperformed everyone's expectations, he was also the head coach of Team USA at the Overwatch World Cup. He was also the head coach of Envious during one of the, you know, Envious was successful for a very long time, but during a very good streak for them. Uh, so he, ha I mean, he has that background in doing great things for you know, the players and the strategies that they employ. Um, so I think if he's in a position where he doesn't necessarily need to be like a super, super strong leader, but maybe just focuses a bit more on the game, I think he's going to do just fine um, in that environment. Yeah, I agree. And it also makes perfect sense. that if you're a former player, that then you are, you know, more like the player, more like the analyst type of coach, that um, you know that doesn't necessarily create structures. Now, the 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 thing is, I think almost. I, I obviously we have no idea what what Dallas was like before, uh, um, or in especially like in the envious days. But the the thing is, I I would have actually liked if. Um, if he already sort of foresaw this issue coming up. Because here's the problem, right? He was pretty close with his players, from our, is my understanding. And I'm not sure if that works with the limited amount of stuff he had in comparison. And um, just, you know, with the high amount of egos he had, right? So it, it's also quite interesting to me that he had to go from Dallas, right? You could have done like an assistant coach position or could have gotten someone in and they would have shared head coach positions or whatever. Like it could have been totally possible. 
but it's it's quite interesting that this doesn't didn't happen. Now, going to Outlaws is probably the perfect fit if you think about it, j simply because of the um, the stuff they did in the U.S. World Cup, mm -hmm. and it's quite interesting actually if you think about it. The the more apparent fit would have initially been Arrow, right? The initial the first coach of FNR GFE. Mm -hmm. So if the news was coming out that Arrow was going to leave before the Kai Kai uh, announcement happens, well, I'm putting my money on Arrow joining uh, the Outlaws in this case, right? Because then they have someone that like I think Arrow has been described to me as someone that creates a lot of structure and you know like um just uh is very good at compartmentalizing practice and you know he's, he's, he's someone that of it. yeah like the, yeah, exa yeah exactly so mm -hmm. the interesting thing for me is here that this might become a little bit of a switcheroo now that kai kai is on the outlaws the former fnrg if he I think it's quite possible that, we, like, we know Arrow is in Overwatch League somewhere, right? Now, it wouldn't surprise me if that was Dallas. And I, I have no inside sources, but that would make sense to me. Hmm. That's an interesting speculation. Yeah, I mean, a lot, yeah, a lot of that does make sense. They're still waiting. You know, obviously, they're, I don't know if they're interviewing right now or what, but, you know, definitely no signs of any coach uh, being hired quite yet for Dallas. And... Um, probably good for them to get one just, uh, you know, as soon as they can, at least for this stage, just to try to try to get some kind of good structure in there just moving forward. Um, but yeah, I think Heiko, I mean, like you yeah, said, I think he's a great fit where he is for many reasons. Um, I think that Kaikai is still, um, capable of being a head coach somewhere, you know, but I think that, you know, taking a break from just having all that pressure on you as being a head coach is, is probably going to be good for him because it was pretty stressful over there, you know, in Dallas for him. So uh, I think this is going to end up just being extremely good for him, him and his career, as well as I think it's just going to be great for Houston. You know, Houston definitely seems to, you know, have a team full of people that just get along. You know, like, do we ever hear about people not getting along in Houston and, and having any kind of issues like that? I don't think I've had heard anything ever like uh, about that kind of thing. Only, only drama is Mendo just sitting yeah, on the bench. Yeah, but Mendo still gives a lot. Yeah, I, I guess there maybe there's a little, a little people, bit of who People like to bring that up all the time, yeah. but I don't even know if there's like an issue there or not. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so overall, you know, he's making some good moves. Hopefully it'll just reflect on their, you know, um, how, how they end up doing in stage four. Uh, okay, next thing. Um, not too much with the World Cup, right? There's, there's, I mean, I have World Cup here. Groups announced. Um, but outside of that, you know, we don't have a kind of want to move on to Odell if we can get to it. Um, all, all I'm going to say on this is I got to go to Korea, man. I have, <laughs> I have to see Korea play on their home turf. Um, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> dude, I have to. So I think I'm going to like, no matter, no matter what the hell I'm doing at that time, I'm just going to go. You're just going to go. Really? Okay. I, dude. Yeah. Right. I want to. Okay. So yeah, I mean that that group too is isn't it heavily Asian? I mean, uh, countries here. Let me look. I forget. Uh, Russia, Finland, T 
Taipei, Chinese Taipei, Japan, South Korea, Hong yeah. Kong. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of Asian countries in that. So it's going to be yeah, you're right. a lot. Of, I mean, there might be a lot of people flying out to that one, to be honest. Um, but yeah, Russia, Finland, you know, I think that's going to be pretty interesting for, for going for second in Japan, right? Japan surprised a lot of us last time. I wonder if they're going to be able to do the same. I, I, I don't even think, I forget how Hong Kong and Chinese Taipei, was it Chinese Taipei that was pretty good last year? They were. Everyone thought they were going to be good. Yeah, myself like in scrims, right? Right, in scrims, yeah. they were saying they were amazing, and then they just kind of uh, got nervous. I think once once it came time to to play in the matches on stage. So yeah, this group's going to be pretty uh, competitive here outside of South Korea. <laughs> that that second spot's going to be highly contested. So, <laughs> see if Finland can live up to just all the talent they have on their their team. They they seem to never perform as good as they can. Kind of going through the rest of them. We got U.S. and Canada again, like in the same. What's going on with that? Like, why do we always have to be with like Canada? It seems that to always happen. But it looks to be pretty clear that they they are the favorites in this group. Unless you yeah, see this, this group yeah. just doesn't seem even close to as strong. Um, you know, like Finland, Russia, Korea in one group is pretty insane. The <laughs> U.S. This one's basically just U.S. and Canada, or like. No one else is really going to be. I mean, Norway had a pretty decent showing last last year, but yeah, they're not they're not on par with that. Yeah, U.S. I guess kind of got lucky this time. The U.S. I, I generally draw hard draws, whether it's you know at BlizzCon itself or even in the group stages. So I think they did pretty well this time around. All right, then we got the Thailand bracket here. That's uh, Sweden, Thailand. Got the crowd favorite Australia in here again. Uh, Spain, Denmark, China, and so. It's going to be, this is another pretty competitive group here. Yeah. I mean, I think there's probably three, maybe four that could contend for that, you know, just the top two spots. Um, Sweden's always the question mark. Like, they never, they seem to always underperform. We'll have to see if they uh, uh, are able to kind of put it together this this year because they should win their groups. You know, like they have so much talent that they, every time that they're together, they should win their groups, but they, they, they don't. <laughs> they seem to just eke eke in there, you know, get that second spot and, and, and get through, but never live up to expectations. Uh, and then the last group, oh, any, any comments on this group? I, I feel like this group, I, I even think five teams have Five? Have a really? Chance. Which one? Which one are yeah. these two? So, oh, Denmark and Spain, definitely. Like, if you think of, yeah. of the talent okay. in Denmark, like, Denmark has Kallax, Oh, theoretically yeah, the, yeah. the friend yeah <laughs> that, that's <laughs> worth the, that's worth the ticket right there man <laughs> right like there's yeah. there's a lot of uh i think craggy of um hurricane is is so isn't no snillo is uh swedish but no no craggy definitely so i i'm sure there's like six people you would definitely recognize in, in the danish team and then in spain also has um dark and I mean, you can bring Bromas out, and he somehow always performs at World Cups. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. Harry Hook, of course. Harry Hook, yeah. Yep. Line Pro. Uh, what's his name? Other guy. <laughs> Other yeah. guy. Um, oh, I know you're talking about too. I, I'm having a little brain fart too. Philly plays for Philly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, uh, Neptuno. Neptuno, yeah, Neptuno, exactly. Neptuno, right. Yeah, that's a good team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, then Australia obviously convinced last year, so I think that's China and Sweden definitely have the potential, so that could be five, yeah. Yeah, 
going to be a great one. And then finally, the France uh, group here that has UK, Germany, Poland, Netherlands, Italy, and France. I mean, to be honest, I think this is the weakest one just in terms of the best teams. So, but Definitely could make for a, could make for a very competitive group though because of that. Uh, I feel like UK and France kind of have a pretty strong mm-hmm. stranglehold on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I agree. Well, definitely going to see more. We're, we still have all the committees and coaches and everything being, uh, you know, nominated or, or people, you know, uh, making their, 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 uh, I don't know, campaign as to, you know, getting into these committees. So I'm sure that's going to happen in the pretty near future here. But kind of moving on, uh, big news today. So this is the thing about the U.S. Supreme Court strikes down um, this case with sports betting, you know, and or at least banning of sports betting. So um, sports betting now, you know, is is legal in the U.S., but I think it's going to come down to like which states decide to to rule that you know it, it's okay to um, you know. Uh, just have sports betting in, but from a, at least a national standpoint, federal standpoint, it's, it's not banned. So, um, yeah, thoughts on this in terms of impact on overwatch and just esports in general. I'm, I mean, I'm excited. I've, I can't really speak with a lot of experience because I've literally never done sports betting before. <laughs> it's basically illegal and been all illegal in the entire U S except for Las Vegas and maybe like Atlantic city, uh, uh so I've never been able to do it, but I do also know at the same time that if you flash back uh, to what, three, four years ago, before there was this crackdown on paid fantasy sports in the United States, we had DraftKings, we had whatever, I forget the other one. Yeah. Uh, we had like all of those fantasy uh, platforms sponsoring and just funneling a ton of money into esports. So it, in terms of like, uh, I guess does esports even really need that much more money right now? It's it's, it's a little crazy, but you I would can, still say just from use more yeah. money than <laughs> I mean just from a if you're looking at this strictly from like an industry perspective, uh, I think this is this has to be a good thing, right? Like mm-hmm. we should be able. I, I don't. I think it's actually kind of ridiculous that I can't uh, gamble as an adult in the U.S. Um, so I, I'm excited for this. I think it's going to just grow the industry um more jobs more investment more marketing more everything is going to go into esports if this is if we're people are allowed to make more money from betting so yeah i think it's good yes like like as a european that's always very strange so sort of culturally to understand how this doesn't happen in the us right so in my age group I would say those those guys and a lot of guys obviously very interested in soccer. I would think a very healthy amount either bets or has some sort of fantasy league going, and I I feel like there's there's some like things that it's always in a conversation. If I'm if I'm going out out a be, uh, um out for a beer with mates, it's always like. Oh, I bet like hundred dollars on this, and then hundred dollars on this. Right. right? It's like or euros rather, and it, it's not frowned upon. It's a little strange that if someone goes too overboard in terms of the what, you know, the the amount that he bet. But if someone goes like, oh yeah, if I have like six different bets that have to work out, and that's actually what most people do. It's like, uh, you know, a six bet in sen- in the sense that you have to get the tendency of six consecutive games correctly in order to get the amount right. And this happens all the time here, and is not frowned upon at all. It's, 
it's just a fun talking point. It's also the, you know the the Schadenfreude in the sense to see when when this doesn't happen for your friend and to be live there. It's part of the the action of watching those matches. They're all happening at the same time. So I don't know. It's it's very strange culturally because it's so accepted here. It's just part of definitely my generation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's always been a little bit odd. Um, I mean, there's the thing with betting and or sports betting is that there's all these bad things that come along with it that don't have to happen. It's just they just tend to happen. And thing these kind of things include match fixing and throwing games and you know obviously affecting the integrity of the actual sport or esport. Uh, and I think that's the part of, of things that are frowned upon, you know, when it comes to betting. It's just like automatically you get that, that connotation that that's what betting implies. And, you know, like you said, Ben, it, it, that's not the case. Like it can totally be a very positive thing and bring a ton of money into the space, a ton of interest to the space. Like forget the actual dollars. I mean, it could actually just be pure interest that leads to a bunch of dollars Absolutely. With, with like advertisements and things like that too. So Yeah, um, I mean, you're, you're 10 times more invested in the game if you have 100 euros on the line. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen like, it yeah. so many times. People <laughs> just go crazy when there's money on the line. Right, right. And, you know, it's like, I bet the NFL is doing, you know, like, I'm, I'm sure their bottom line's gone up quite a bit, too, ever since fantasy has been just huge, right? And these fantasies, you know, the, that whole market it's, it in itself has taken off. So, um, you know, I think we're going to be seeing that. I, you know, with this type of ruling, and it'll be interesting to see how the states rule, like, individually. Um, but we're, we should be seeing more. We should be seeing more betting sites and, and things like that. I still think it's going to be a little tricky because some states will allow it, some states won't, so who can participate in it? You'll still have a little bit of also, that, that dynamic. But um, yeah, Also, uh, Blizzard, it seems yeah, Blizzard quite anti-betting. Um, I mean, I, shoot, I don't even... Oh, yeah, I do remember what it was. It was... Uh, Overwatch Atlantic Showdown, all the Fnatic players had to put a big thing of black tape over their bet, bet away or Betway sponsor logos. Yeah. Like, Blizzard is very, very anti-betting, so, yeah. No, they've always been that. It's not even just Overwatch, right? It's just, like, yeah, all I think it, I think it's, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah. They, there's been problems with, uh, with match fixing in previous Blizzard games, to say the least, so. Yeah. That'll be a pretty big day whenever we see betting in Overwatch allowed, and <laughs> that would be that would be pretty uh, monumental, or at least promoted by Blizzard. That'd be crazy, crazy day. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, you already can. I you can like I personally already did, and I know there are some guys that had like crazy bets already around the time of the Atlantic Showdown. Like I think I don't want to throw him uh, like under the bus or anything, but. I think it was pretty public about this that, like, in ProTalk, anyway, was, like, Faz, who put, like, a grand on, on some outcome and then mm. hit it because it's just, like, that, that's just cul the culture here. Also, if you're obviously a big poker player in, in, I guess, Europe, you're also pretty big into betting most of the time. So, I don't know. It's, it's just part of the, the culture here, and it's just part of the entire circuit. You always have like some small side bets going anyway, with just pocket change. Yeah. So you know, I in terms of esports, like how many match fixing scandals have we had in EU? Like you guys, you know, I definitely hear about a ton, obviously in, in Korea and and things like that. But 
an EU, like how many have we had that have just been major? Because you know, that's the thing to worry about, right? It's just like, okay, we make it just like happen, just happening everywhere. And, you know, you're going to have these these people that are just going to offer crazy amounts of money to players to throw games. I mean, it's just going to happen, you know, and it's going to be up to the players to say no. But um, I don't know. I guess the leagues do play the pay the players well enough now that it's not like a starving, you know, StarCraft Two player or StarCraft player or whatever that literally, you know, get offered ten thousand twenty thousand dollars and that that's a lot of money for them right and they're able to do that i mean now these base salaries are probably would make something like that at least not quite as possible but maybe it's a hundred thousand you know like maybe it's five hundred thousand then you know the on a bet that's going to make them obviously a lot more then you know we would be you know having to face the a kind of similar thing so anyways my question is just like if it is more accepted you know just in, in europe and and just these other places like how how often do we see scandals I think Europeans are generally smart enough to get caught. Those, like, in a, in a sense, because if you think about the uh, the, for instance, take the CS:GO thing, right? Yeah. We all know that I buy power through for skins, right? Yep. We all pretty much also know that there is good reasons to believe that this was the case for Virtus Pro. Virtus Pro is still a uh, a team in the CS:GO space, right? So, like. Some some things is just also by the nature of how, of how these infos go go out. Um, it's it's like yeah, I, I obviously it's happening. They're, like I have no illusions that this is happening in Europe. I have no illusions that it might just be happening more in Europe because of this established culture. But at the same time, for the Overwatch League, I feel like the it's not even the money that's sort of like keeping players from doing it. It's just like the the actual money behind the league because you know if this comes out yeah. you're going to jail 100 oh, yeah. and you're going to be slapped by the book it's it, it's <laughs> over for you at this point you're right. you're getting the wrath of the lawyers of t fortune 500 companies at this point you're done yeah. right yeah. so this I, I feel like this is a good repellent okay that's a good point yeah severity is obviously going to be much much worse and that that the fear of that could be enough, you know, just to keep people online. Um, but so it's going to be a new age, you know, like this new age of esports. Obviously, comes a new age, and in just betting too. So uh, be be interesting to see what what happens the rest of this year in terms of that. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's talk some Overwatch League. So uh, stage three, so stage three ended a week and a half ago, and. Um, you know, we haven't got any chance to even uh, really talk about the results and just you know, just our overview on on the stage itself. Obviously, congratulations to uh, NYXL on uh, um, winning that stage, repeating. And um, you know, Boston obviously had a sensational season two, but in the end, you know, the NYXL wasn't you know definitely wasn't messing around. They came you know looking like themselves and ready to go. And you know, I think that whenever we see NYXL in in that kind of form, they're just unbeatable. Like I don't think there's anybody in the league that can beat them when they when they play like that. So um, yeah, so, so this was this was like a okay, this is a full week ago at this point. We're yeah. a little bit late to talk about it, of course. But yeah. I just want to re-emphasize how unexpected and ridiculous it is ridiculous it is that the top four teams <laughs> out of the top four, there was only one Korean squad. Yeah. In uh, of course NYXL. Neither London Spitfire or Seoul Dynasty made it into the top uh, top four. 
in, instead we had teams like LA Gladiators who were kind of in the bot like in the middle to bottom of the pack a few stages ago. So I think before you even get into the games and the results themselves, like this alone is super interesting, super cool. Boston is on an absolute tear. Valiant, you know, they made the switch. They got Custa this, this last stage. They're on an absolute tear. Gladiators blew my mind taking they beat in the regular uh in the regular course of the stage three they beat both nyxl and london spitfighter right mm -hmm. so like gladiators are looking on another level like this alone i think is one of my favorite parts of this playoff yeah yes, yeah. You, yeah your take i i think this is the stage where so i think no no korean team was in ideal circumstances internally and it speaks to the quality of nyxl that they still only got beaten by boston that's that to me like it's pretty obvious to me that they were i mean i'm not sure if sandbagging is the the correct term here but um Sandbag. that they were not giving yeah, <laughs> yeah. not giving 100 percent and taking it sort of easy because they were experiencing some burnout and then when it counted when they were you know when someone waves one in a thousand dollars in front of their faces can just step it up and that quality was also pretty apparent to me i it was perfectly clear that th to me that this was going to happen in the final and i also thought like that it was going to be pretty much pretty stompy in that sense now the other two current teams oh, yeah. i, I think about that, them. that was <laughs> that's the big story it, right yeah they are currently having their envious moment you know being far away from home, trying to find out how to work in the new meta, probably didn't make the right moves in the in the transfer season because all these these other teams, so LA Valiant and to an extent de definitely Gladiators, made moves that not only very much improved them, but they also made moves that improved them to a sense that they now can enjoy a honeymoon period, which. If there's a thing such as a honeymoon period, and London Spitfire and Soul Dynasty have experienced the other side of the spectrum, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I, while I think that just the you know the gravitational pull of their skill level will eventually shift them up again, though I'm not too sure about Soul. Um, yeah, like for instance, Birdring coming back and hopefully like. Uh, you know, coming back into form and sort of regenerating will it will be that what London needs. But at the same time, it's not just Birdring uh, having a slump. It's also just the entire team seemingly being very burnt out in a sense. And I also think that now all those changes that uh, Susie has been implementing, such as moving to a house or whatever, that that will grab them and will move them up. But yeah, this this is just I, I think. To be honest, to be sort of like a party pooper, this is more like the 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 the, the LA teams got into the playoffs because they didn't have problems at the time. While the other teams that are theoretically better than them or have been proven to be better in the first two stages just had their uh, burnout moments, and I think it will revert eventually. How much? How much of it was just the meta? You know, like these stages obviously have different maps and. And um, you know each each map's gonna, or at least you'll have a set of map that really favors a certain team. We saw that with Houston, you know, like in stage 
uh, stage one, right? Um, and you know, we we saw what changing maps, you know, happened to that team. So was that the issue here with Spitfire and and Soul? I mean, particularly particularly Spitfire because they had the I think the biggest drop off, you know, between uh, the two stages. Was it an issue with maps for them? Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure, honestly. Yeah, I'm not sure what it comes. To, I mean, obviously, as Jessica was saying, not having bird ring consistently yeah. is a big deal for them. Um, I would say more that than like anything about the meta in particular, right? Because mm -hmm. like there weren't huge sweeping changes this this stage. I feel. No, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's Blizzard World, but <laughs> but people figured out yeah. Blizzard World pretty quickly. I think after that. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think the Shock actually ended up having a, a pretty nice push there at the end too. You know, when they got their full roster and things started to click in for them, they almost they almost got in there. If it wasn't for the two LA teams really winning winning the the games that they needed to win, the matches they needed to win at the end, um, you know, Shock might have actually snuck in there. So um, pretty good stage for them too. Uh, oh, this, this wasn't in the script, but uh, they now have uh, Boston's old analyst, Krusty, has joined yep. that squad, which is an yeah. uh, interesting tidbit as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After almost having a perfect season at Boston, you know, just losing one of the you know the key members of their you know their coaching staff, you know, to uh, to shock. I, I, it was a shock. <laughs> it was. I was really really surprised. But apparently, it's been it's something that was planned for a while. So, you know, Boston even let him, you know, be uh, like really search for a new job for a while now. So, um, no, nothing huge there in terms of drama or anything like that. Um, but yeah, so the biggest thing, you know, I think with London, so I've, how much do you think, you know, this kind of off season, like makes them feel uh, vulnerable, you know, just like you don't have that kind of mystique that, that New York has like New York still has that intimidating feel when you go into it, forget like, you know, the players themselves, but they just don't lose, you know, like, Teams that just don't lose, you kind of have that, you know, Tiger Wood effects, you know, kind of thing. You know, you're just already intimidated going into matches like that, and sometimes you lose because of that, just that little edge. Um, London, I feel like London still don't have that anymore, you know, so they, they might have to earn that back. And uh, given that we only have like five weeks left until the actual league playoffs, um, can they establish that kind of dominance again? What do you guys think? I think. Like, Wizard Young has read the equivalent, the strategical equivalent of the Kama Sutra. Like, they, they do things to teams that they, these teams don't know that this could be done to them, right? Like, they, they're being pushed into places where it's okay. just like, I didn't know I sucked at that, but I guess I do, right? So, like, I, I, I feel like they really... I, I wouldn't. So let me give you a fringe example. I perfect. I'm perfectly sure that there are thoughts going through Wizard Young's minds. Like, if we push from here, this offense or this uh, opponent Widowmaker player has a weakness of flicking right side upward. So let's go here. Shit like this is happening. I'm pretty sure that's that's actually wow. the case. So okay. wow. I, I'm not sure if that's strong enough to overrule the entire, you know, strategy set. And it, this is a very French concept, but it, I, I'm yeah. pretty sure this has crossed his mind at some point and has found some applications, right? Yeah. Just also, like, in the sense how they exploit opponent teams is just very novel. And that also happened to Boston in a sense. So I, I think that just if, if it... An opponent coach knows more about your team in certain aspects than your coaching stuff does. 
guess you're just going to lose, especially against a team that has so much high caliber players. It's like at this point, it's just crazy. And they, yeah. they seem to have so much resources left, so much build up quality that they can just take it easy and just win nine games still in the entire. Like, of course, they make it close. I guess when it's 2 2, you just step on the pedal and just, you know, give them a little bit of, a, of that. Make it exciting Look for out. us fans. Yeah. <laughs> Something yeah. to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah, with, it's going to be interesting. I mean, why, why don't we uh, just m- maybe close out stage three? What are the biggest storylines for you guys? Favorite storylines, and then we'll we'll take a look at stage four. Ben? My favorite thing in stage three was uh, seeing LA Gladiators really come out of their shells. Just just from a personal fanboy perspective, I've always been a fan of this team. Fissure joining has been an amazing revelation for them, but I really have been impressed with Hydration and Surefor um, in particular. I think Surefor's flexibility and his dominance on Widow really was one of the propelling factors for them. So I, I, I know that like I know they only got they got to the playoffs and didn't do that well in the playoffs. It's not like they won the whole season, but I think their turnaround from like you know middle of the pack at best, you know maybe like bottom side of the middle of the pack mm-hmm. to a playoff contending team was awesome to see. Yeah, yeah. Yes, for me, yeah. there, there's like two storylines. There's like Boston, obviously, after their Black Swan event, if you want, sort of revealing that they, you know, they took that deep blow and then had mistakes just seemingly swapping in. And then that sort of also revealed to us what this team is built around. So sort of like a modular thing where they're very cognizant of what everyone is doing in the team. That just allowed them to, you know, plug and play certain players or allocate resources in terms of uh, calling structure here and, you know, shifted around and suddenly became the, the uh, best team, at least over the, the normal uh, games out, outside of playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. The other big, big storyline for me personally was uh, Architect. Like... This kid has been nuts for a while, right? So Volamel and I have been really like enjoying this kid for I think it must have been already season two um in, in Apex. He was always one of the sickest Genji Blade users in in the game. Now obviously we couldn't have anticipated that he is also apparently super crazy on hit scan. And on top of that is a wholesome <laughs> character, so I don't know, like this guy, kid is just just also see how it all comes together. I think the biggest revelation shock over, obviously has been architect. We thought of, it would have been Sinatra, and yes, so, sort of he's mildly overshadowed by uh, architect. I think Sinatra also had a pretty good performance. So Dante definitely still has mm-hmm. has some room on that team, and then I even think Super has some more potential. In, left in the tank he he didn't hit like the meteor i was predicting to be like so i thought he would hit the ground like muma did in stage one and i think he has the potential to so maybe we will see that happen yeah i mean we saw the effect of super i mean i i don't want to understate that mm. i mean you did see a difference in him and i mean he was calling mm. too right like i mean i think you you saw a significant difference when, when he came but yeah that'd be awesome to see if we they can even <sighs> reach higher a higher point with uh you know just even I mean, them together he was replacing nomi after all of course <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you got a <laughs> significant upgrade there uh yeah for me it's you know the obvious one you know, for me it's just the, the boston i mean i think that 
Boston had really established themselves as the second best team. Like clearly, like not even close. Like they are for sure the second best team right now in, in the Overwatch League. And um, you know, they're a bu- they're a team just full of I don't want to say overachievers because that's not really giving them enough credit either, but definitely under underestimated team and you know, it's like kind of a common storyline, but it it continues on even now. You know, it's like your average Overwatch League uh, fan probably still thinks that Boston is somewhat of uh, you know just like they don't know those players you know not 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 nearly as well and you know Calyx is like freaking amazing you know like you, you've got a team full of like Amsu and and Striker and I mean they're all literally the top three in their their positions and um, it just happens that New York has like the top two in every one of those positions and it's like you know they ended up uh, you know making them look bad I think Boston didn't play that as well either in the finals. The grand finals, um, so it, it was, you know, obviously very, very one side in that three zero. But you know, leading up to it, I mean, they dominated the Gladiators going into it, and I, I thought it was going to be a pretty epic final. But then, you know, we, we kind of obviously had it one sided. So, but uh, but for them, you know, after having what happened with with Dreamcast Raven and and them just being able to recover with almost a perfect stage, that's like you know kind yeah. of dream scenario yeah, was, i mean you yeah, you couldn't even sick. imagine that happening so um you know kudos to them their organization obviously they're they're pl- you know flexible enough to be able to react to to things uh, very, you know just very very difficult situations like that and that's you know that's a sign of a great organization um so yeah i think that and um you know i would say like the same thing with the shock i think the shock's push at the end was probably the thing that i was keeping an eye on the most it was just like oh my god i'm going to go go on a limb i think it was like the last episode or the episode before and say i think the shock's going to get in <laughs> like if they went completely out and everything else works out for them they're going to get in and they they almost did just really 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 close but, but uh gladiators obviously uh ended up clutching it in so uh stage 4 so why don't we talk about that preview of that what do we think's going to happen here um, you know, like th- this is where the overall standings start to, to really matter, right? Like we're not just talking about stages anymore. So if we're looking at the overall standings, I mean, you can take a look here. We're, we're, uh, playoffs is, um, wait, playoffs is what? Top eight? I forget. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. Yeah. Top eight, right? So, so the cutoff's right here. So there's a pretty big cutoff right here. It's just a matter of, I think the seed. Uh, so I guess, yeah, the question to start at the bottom, is the shot going to make it in? Is it actually top eight, real quick? Like, isn't it top six? I'm not sure. The top six or top eight? I, I'm I, trying to remember. Chad should know this. Okay. We yeah, should maybe, know this. I know. We should totally We're know We're the this. podcasters. I know. I know. It's so bad. We, I just haven't thought about the playoffs, like, since the very, very beginning. I thought, I, just, I remember a lot of teams get in. So maybe, maybe it was the top six. Because it, it's, it's not, it's, it's, isn't it? Can you even say top six? Because there's some things with, like, divisions, like the first of, each division get in or something like this like the, the first of each division oh, is right, set right. into a different bracket and then there's four more teams so oh, to even okay. say top six is like yeah but i think it works out though right like because the, the top and the pacific sort of they're gonna get in right like these like it, it's only it only matters when like one division like literally takes up all the spots and then you know and then there's one like close enough though out. yeah it's pretty darn close to that so I think that's I I think it's fine. So yeah, we what is it again? Is it top six? Yeah, yeah. yeah top. Chat consensus says top six. Okay, top six. All knowing Twitch yeah. chat, praise okay, the Twitch yeah. chat. So, so top six. It, it, with top six, then we're gonna get like a, definitely a little bit more interesting here. With uh, I mean, this middle area right here is highly 
in high contention. And I think even the shock might have like a very, very small outside chance. I think it can just get really, really hot here. But um, probably not. It's probably going to be between. They have to win the stage, basically, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even gladiators and outlaws, they 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 pretty much have to get pretty hot here too. And I don't know if I see that right now. Um, I yeah, it's it's mathematically possible, but it's like very 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 small. Yeah. For for shock, because, right? Yeah. For shock, yeah, yeah. Because just look at it. Like Houston and gladiators would have to completely crumble and not get much wins at all, right? Basically. Pull a Shanghai stage, right? But yeah, I don't think that's actually going to happen. Yeah, I don't see the gladiator. Definitely gladiators. I, I'd be completely shocked if that happened. If it were to happen, it would probably happen to the outlaws before it happens to the gladiators. And I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about the outlaws, to be honest. Like, I, I think they struggled this last stage. Um, I mean, Linkser wasn't Links. I mean, that wasn't the Linkser I saw in the first two stages, that's for sure. Uh, so he was he was having some issues. Obviously, Jake was you know I think training in certain role like or a certain new heroes and trying to get better at heroes. So it was more of a, a building up stage than than it was a you know a stage that you you really try to make a, a huge push for. So um, you know with this stage, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what to expect with this kind of new meta. Uh, do you see them doing better? Well, well spe speaking of the new meta, Chris. <laughs> There's a Nobody massive elephant yet. in the room that we are not we have not addressed yet, which is nobody knows which no, patch this right. is going to be on. That's right, exactly. I'm, I would bet serious money that we're going to have the new Hanzo in there and Brigitte. Some people are not. People are apparently unsure if new Hanzo is actually going to be in stage four at all. The other question is. Will we get Brigitte as she is on live right now, or will it be Brigitte with some kind of tuning? Mm -hmm. um, because there, there's the PTR changes. What about Ana? Now, if you go look at the uh, the Ana PTR changes, will those squeeze in before the you know stage four starts? Tuesdays are patch day, so tomorrow we'll probably be finding out if it goes if these changes are going to live. I would suspect that the Brigitte change will go to live. I would, I would think so. But then, does it go to OWL with very, 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 very limited testing on live? Unsure. Like nobody knows. Um, but it's it spurred this extremely um, impassioned conversation on Reddit. If you go and look at the competitive Overwatch subreddit, you know many of the top posts of the last week or two have been. Blizzard needs to have the live patch on OWL. We're not going to be interested if it's not the live patch. People are talking about this during contenders. Like, this is on such an old patch. It's not interesting. So on one hand, I understand you want to have uh, a patch that's tested, that's balanced, that doesn't have bugs. That's the most important thing. It can't have any any bugs that will, you know, uh, hurt the integrity of the game itself. Um, but on the other hand, I'm also of the, of the mind of, like, we don't want to go an entire five-week stage with a patch that's, like, really old. Like, that's going to kill the hype. It, people are going to be so much less inclined to tune in. It, it would not be a good situation. So yeah, nobody knows what we're going to get just yet. To me, the balance argument is valid in itself, but is it very hypocritical. Because... Here's also the balance argument, right? So you introduce a patch 
that so the balance team patches around Brigitte being in in competitive, right, or in the game. So the game is balanced around Brigitte being in the game. So obviously, like in a in an ecosystem, all those factors sort of have interdependencies, right? So the population of one uh, animal will rise or fall. Like, so for instance, the apex predator of traces is Brigitte. So you balance Tracer around these things, right? That didn't happen. They just cut out Brigitte and gave us the, exactly those circumstances, which they deemed, yes, this ecosystem is fine. So how, how does that work? That obviously, that either you're saying, oh, yeah, our or a vision of balance is it is possible for us to release a patch that is fine-tuned towards Brigitte being in and not having her in, because there's such a big, it doesn't add up to me. So in, in general, I think the balance argument uh, is fine, but hasn't been done in this, this way in Overwatch League whatsoever. Yeah. Um, the bug thing is definitely a problem, because especially because of the land line thing, right? We, we know that uh, characters react very differently. Like, even if it doesn't really impact uh, gameplay on some levels, it's, for instance, the, if you're Winston, your Tesla gun takes way more often. It's a sort of different feel. Or, um, yeah, obviously, Widow was sort of uh, put into the meta simply because of land clients in many ways, mm -hmm. uh, first off. So I, I feel like the, 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 unless there is a pretty big balance, um, a pretty big bug that they can't fix on the land client, and it's easy to see that how that could happen. Like for instance, what if what if the E from Hanzo unloads instantly? Yeah, right. right. Yikes. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be terrible. What? So obviously you can't have him in then, right? If he one shot shotguns basically a Winston, right? And there's no counterplay there then. So, um, yeah. If you can't work around that, yeah, then you can't have him in. Otherwise, why not? And Otherwise, also, why, why does it take so long to make that decision? Why are we three days away, and I'm talking to Overwatch League coaches, and they have no idea what's going on? That's crazy. That's, that's the really tough part. I mean, I think that all those points are great, and, and, and it begs the question of whether this whole all-or-nothing type of approach, even just to the stages, you know, which are five weeks, is really the correct way to do things. Because... Um, you know, there are going to always be these exceptions that, that just make this current uh, type of, of um, you know, method just bad for the audience. You know, what could potentially happen now where we literally will have five weeks of something that's not on the servers and people just won't relate and it's just boring, right? Because we, we literally release something exciting on the, the, the actual game servers themselves and it's not in the competitive, highly viewed broadcast. I mean, that's just really, really bad. Uh, that's going to happen. That's just going to continually happen just from here on out. So I don't know. I would propose like coming up with something where you have like different types of patches. Like you have a patch that's actually for just the general game and whatnot. And then there's like this other delineation, whether this patch, you know, can immediately be rolled into Overwatch League or not. Because I don't think it, you should rule out every single patch. You know, there's, there's some patches that are just pretty minor and it would not affect 
you know, like what uh, everybody's doing right now, in, you know, in game, you know, like it's, it wouldn't totally nerf the, like you wouldn't put in some crazy nerf to like Zenyatta, right? When, when all the teams have basically built around that, but you would put something in that that's just like maybe a minor nerf to it. I think that would still be okay. And it wouldn't like infect the integrity of, of just the, the past games in that existing stage. So, um, I think it just, I mean, it's, I, they just I, need I, more flexibility in, in general. Yeah. I, I think you're right, Chris, about that. Um, it's kind of like a shitty damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, though. Like, if you wait too long to patch, you know, viewers are going to be unhappy. If you are too quick to patch uh, and the meta changes, then the players are going to be unhappy. Um, that's why I totally agree with you that I've, I, I personally think Blizzard and Overwatch League should at least consider applying minor patches midway through the season if like if like okay let's let's just say theoretically brigitte launches as is uh for the first stage four coming up in just a couple of days and she's incredibly dominant and it creates a stale meta and nobody's the players aren't enjoying it and the viewers aren't enjoying it that change from 150 hp down to 100 and that change from five seconds to six seconds cooldown on shield bash might be what she needs to be to be tuned like it that I know from the player's perspective, they don't want they want to know what they're going into each stage, and they don't want to have to practice many different you know metas and learn new things super fast. It might benefit some teams more than others, but I still think it makes sense for Blizzard to make those kinds of changes that are on more on the like more on the minor, more on the somewhat subtle side. Uh, it, even if it's in the middle of a stage, I think that they should be open to doing it. For sure, that that's you know my my perspective at least. Also, for a good chunk of the players, Crimea River, like you've yeah. been on vacation <laughs> I, for I for a week now, like yeah. pretending like oh we've been scrimming on this old patch mm -hmm. all the time. Thinking no, you you haven't done anything. You've done PR stuff for yourself. You've flown flown out to the cities where your uh, teams are located. Nothing has happened to you. You're not losing anything. What your org hasn't already self-imposed on you. So, I don't know. But I mean, okay, sure. But you can also say that the schedule just isn't very tuned for the, attuned for this either. You know, like sure, like these teams got to go and do their PR thing, and that's kind of like what happened. They have to fly to the cities. That's what happens with with the first seasons being in in LA. Um, and you really don't allocate time for them to even practice either. Uh, not to mention just the release schedules. If you want Overwatch League to be like a main kind of storyline for your game, Overwatch, then you need to to plan your actual release cycles to be in tandem with the Overwatch League schedule too. Like you can't just ignore it and just say, oh, well, you have to adapt it. Like esports just has to adapt to whatever we do for the game because that's where all the, you know, this this is a game first before it is an esport. Like if you're going to actually make that kind of commitment to it, then you you need to have that level of commitment too in terms of, of releasing, you know, big changes. Like this Hanzo change should either happen earlier or it shouldn't happen yet. Like they should have just waited, you know. Um so it's I know it's tough, but still, like I think moving forward, you know, especially into season two, like that that stuff just needs to be perfectly timed. And um and maybe they there should be a week. Maybe there should be an extra week between the stages. 
you know, give give us more time. Give the players give more time. Stage break to allow for patching. Yeah, I mean, right? I mean, that, that's we've seen yeah. longer waits and like you know, just some of the other Apex and and things like that in the past. So, I I don't think it's too crazy for the fans, um, and uh, I think it would benefit the players a lot too. Uh, the organization. I mean, too. Mm-hmm. I have to say, like, obviously, I, I'm personally of the opinion that the Overwatch League schedule is conclusive to mental illness in many ways. Like, we, we, if Damn. every single team <laughs> is having major burnout issues, yeah, then it's not the teams that are have the problem; it's the system that is creating these problems consistently across mm-hmm. all teams. Like, maybe one or two exceptions that have like impeccable uh, um, structure. But coincidentally, these teams also keep winning. So that helps with a lot of issues, right? If you just keep winning, it's all worth it, right? So it comes to a screeching halt, like uh, for a lot of these these teams and players. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. It's uh, I sort of lost my train of thought here. But yeah, I, I don't know the 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 Absolutely. entire idea that oh yeah, yeah I'm, I got it back um, I think you should just introduce longer breaks because it's not only that the it feels like to me that not only the players have burned out but that viewership has also burned out in a sense like I, I can mm-hmm. like as someone that tries to watch every single uh, Overwatch League match and then try to pick up on Contenders 2 I gotta say it's it's pretty tiring at this point right so it's like obviously this is not the way it's meant to be watched i guess because i guess the league is built around a system where you you know are are a fan of one team which two of the their games every week and then you're done basically and maybe you have two favorite teams and then you watch four games right that's like eight hours a week that is not unreasonable for a hobby but yeah i don't know it feels like also i mean you probably know this better than uh idle fish sticks like the, the viewership is consistently going downwards, right? Uh, I think it's it's been more stable than it seems. I think, like, if you looked at the stage playoffs, it was it bounced back up to 150, 160K, which, I mean, it is going down, like, marginally, but it's been relatively stable. I think people overestimate burnout. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that definitely there's there were some matches recently that I, I, I saw some nights, you know, we just don't get to 100 like some weeks, you know, there were a couple of nights where we just don't get to a hundred K and, and, um, I mean, that was, that's lower, you know, like we were hitting hundred K like every single night before and seeing eighties here, you know, nineties here, it depends on the team at times too. You know, like there's obviously teams that just, people are just not as interesting just cause they're, they just don't contend at this point. Um, then you're, you're not going to get as many, but, uh, but overall, yeah, I, I think that it's just too much, you know, like it's, there's just not any buildup. Like these last few stages, like I, I just don't think that there's any external buildup to it. Um, the final match is always still hype, but you know nobody really cares. It's like, oh, okay, it's just another another kind of stage finals, you know, for Overwatch. So it's not that big of a deal, you know. Like whether it's a marketing thing or it's a packaging thing or whatever, like we just need to do a better job of that. Like it, it needs to feel like a big deal that that we have these finals. Yeah, and it, it I, I think I said this. Yeah. I probably said this in a couple shows. Uh, probably before or like when Overwatch League was not even uh, uh, live yet. I personally think they should have done this 
I think it would have been epic if each stage final was done in like a bigger arena in a yeah, different location. Totally. That alone, like having a bigger crowd and like more production value, that alone, I think would would have been enough to increase the hype quite a lot. Uh, at the same time, they're also trying to run the the, the most ambitious esports league that anyone's ever tried to run. So, like, I, I understand why they they want to stick with the arena that has all the good lighting and the screens, but. I think if they had gone to San Francisco, you know, Austin, Texas, like if they had traveled around the, you know, the U.S. or even the world for each of these stage finals, it could have been pretty, pretty hype. But anyway, yeah, they could have totally done. Not that. to hear him there. They could have totally done that. Come on, like that. That's not that hard to do. I mean, it, we've we've that that's something that's been done many, many times. And we're only talking about how many teams? We're only talking about four teams. <laughs> Like going on this road show, that, that should absolutely, yeah, have been thought about. And this this kind of moving stage too. They already have this kind of teardown stage that they could use too if they really really wanted to at certain places. So, um, yeah, I I would I think that would have been a great idea. I think being able to kind of see it as a live venue and kind of hype it up and just you know all the marketing on it could just be, be centralized. Right now it's just like oh it's the Sunday it's like the playoff Sunday and it's just like another day, like that just happens yeah. and you know. It's obviously great for us, but nobody else is going to watch it. So, um, all right. Well, I think we got to wrap up actually because uh, it's kind of winding down. But before we walk out, wrap up, I definitely want to give a shout out to our other sponsor today, which was Wing. Um, if you're not familiar with Wing, it's a digital phone carrier that's, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's definitely just like Verizon, AT&T, but it's actually a lot easier to deal with them just because like they, they have a much cheaper bill. So on average, it's like $35 a month. And it's the type of service where you don't pay like this monthly package for all this internet, which you most of the time people don't use. You only pay for basically what what you actually use, which uh, ends up being a lot cheaper for a lot of people, unless you're watching Overwatch I think, all the time, you know. But if you're not, you know, if you're generally uh, just maybe sticking to maybe one Overwatch League day and, and, and doing that sort of thing, uh, Wing's going to be definitely perfect for you. And um Really easy to switch over. You can keep your existing phone number. Uses the same networks as all the big ones, um, and um, you can actually sign up right now if you go to uh, wingalpha.com/slash. Uh, uh, actually, no, it's just wingalpha.com, and then you use the code over just for the overview, and you'll get twenty-five dollars off your first phone bill, which is really really cool. So uh, definitely go check out Wing today. And again, like really cool that they're uh, sponsoring the show, uh, but. I don't think we have time for Q&A today, guys. So we're going to have to wrap up just because uh got to get going. Hopefully we'll be able to do this like sooner than like waiting. I don't know how many weeks it was that we did last, but uh, um, hopefully we'll be able to do it sooner than that. And hopefully stage four, cover stage four a lot more. But uh, Yiska, you want to do some shout outs before we take off? We didn't even have to make Yiska stay up until the sun I know. rose I this know. time. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You want to do some shout outs, no, man? No, no shout outs. No, no shout outs? Okay, worry. cool. Ben? Gotta love it. No shout outs in esports. So rare. <laughs> uh yeah, I, I mean, uh I'm excited for to see the, the I'm excited to see what happens this stage because we're only two days away from stage four starting and nobody knows. At very, very least, I'm positive we're gonna see Brigitte. What form will she be in? I don't know. I'm quite sure that we're gonna see Hanzo too, but also not sure about that. Regardless, no matter what, we're going to see some major shifts in the meta. So I'm really interested to see because uh, on ranked, all of us scrubs have just been trying to figure this out. But we're going to yeah. see what the pros do 
with the new meta. So uh, I'm excited for that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, thank you guys for watching. Obviously, the two of you guys, this is like literally super last minute. So, um, you know, definitely appreciate you guys uh, hopping on and, and checking this out. Uh, definitely find the VODs on youtube.com slash chainmanv. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play and soundcloud.com slash chainmanv by searching Overwatch or the overview. And uh, leave, leave us a review if you enjoy the show because it really helps out. And um, my last thing, oh, we're, we're doing a watch party for the Mayhem. Uh, those of you that might not know, you know, I, I, I and um, uh, Alonzo, we've been running the, the Chaos Crew recently, which is like kind of the Mayhem fan organization. So we've been, we've been running like watch parties in Jacksonville and Tampa and Miami and West Palm and Orlando with the help of a lot of awesome hosts in these, these uh, cities. And uh, Mayhem's been awesome supporting us too. So definitely come check that out. I'm trying to figure out the venue right now, guys, for West Palm because I had to change it. So it might be in Boca. But I'll let you know uh, really, really soon. Just just follow uh, the Chaos Crew on Twitter and uh, I'll, you'll definitely see the details for that. But that's going to be it, guys, for the overview this week. So for Yiska, Fish Sticks, and myself, Cham MV, we'll see you next time. <laughs>